So basically from Colossians chapter 1.15 through Colossians 2.23, we see doctrinal matters being discussed here. And the first and foremost, we see the deity of Christ. And that's what we'll be talking about today is the deity of Christ. Um, but he's also talking about through this, this chapter and beyond, um, he's going to talk about his ministry, his personal ministry, and also the, the vain philosophy that's happening within the Colossian area, the, the Church of Colossae, where they, what's happening, what's going on in their lives. And so thinking through that, Paul has a great passion to refute the false teachers. The false teachers of that time were saying that Jesus was one of those emanations of God. He was a possible way to God, but he wasn't the way. That he wasn't deity, he wasn't God. And he also, they also said, well, maybe Jesus is an angel. Maybe he's just an angel, and that God is using Jesus in a certain way. And so there's a mysticism that's around this. And he says, we talk about angels, and angels being the powerful source, but it wasn't about who Jesus was and what he did. So Paul is proclaiming that, Jesus is, that if Jesus was not Lord of all, he could not be Lord at all. Let me repeat that. If Jesus was not Lord of all, he could not be Lord at all. He was bold in refuting the false teachers, those that would lead young Christians astray. And I can personally account over being a Christian for all these years, come up against a lot of false teachers that are out there. The Jehovah's Witnesses, which also believe that Jesus isn't God, there's no deity there. But ever since the beginning of the church to now, we see a lot of false teachers. A lot of people, they either put Jesus in a different category or they puff themselves up and say that this is my, my particular characteristic or my particular philosophy, and that is what gains me righteousness and right standing before God. And so Paul is going to do a very good job through this passage of laying out some things and basically makes a list. And this is probably the best list we have, if you will, of looking at that of the characteristics of Jesus. So if you're a list taker and you like the bullet points, I'm going to list these out for you on the front side of it, and then we'll walk through each one. So first we saw in, in, in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, we see that he is Savior, Redeemer. So the first thing is he's Savior and Redeemer, and we talked about that last week. He delivered us from the dominion of darkness, which we'll talk about, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So he is Savior and he's Redeemer. Number two, he is the image of God. He is the very fullness of God, completely God. He is the image of God, the fullness of God. He is completely God. Number three, he is the firstborn of all creation and creator of the universe. Firstborn of all creation and creator of the universe. And number four, he's the head of the church. He's head of the church. Those are the first four I'm going to try to get through today. Next week, Rob's going to basically take verse 19 and 20 through 23 and really talk about the fullness of God and what that means. And then the last one that's, that's talked about here in these first, first five or six verses is we recon he's a reconciler of all things. So number five is a reconciler of all things. And I know up here it's listed a little bit more in detail, so if you want to list all those out, that's great. Um, but as far as what I'm going through, I'm going to kind of break it down into these five things, but ultimately just focus on these first four. So think about it. He is Savior, Redeemer. He's the image of God. He's completely God. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the creator of the universe, holds all things together, and he's head of the church. 
And finally, he's the reconciler of all things. So as we think through that, think about your own heart. Think about your own uh, focus on Jesus this morning. I love, I stand in awe of him. We should be doing that every single day, every single moment of every single day, to stand in awe of the King and King and the Lord of Lords. And so I pray that today will be that day that we think about this a little more fully in light of we will come against persecution, we will be up against false teachers that are telling us something completely different. And this young church at Colossae was being bombarded by all these older people around them, what they'd grown up with, what they understood, and Paul's coming and saying no. From prison, he's saying no, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. He loves them so much, he prays for them. He's in chains, yet he's praying for them, thinking of them. And when he hears these false teachers are berating the young believers, he's going to stand firm for the gospel. Stand firm for Christ. Proclaim the truth, the whole truth, to this young church and these young believers. So I pray that in my own heart, as I stand up and I think about that, do I stand up for the cause of Christ? Do I stand up for Jesus and say the same thing? Would I be as bold in that proclamation. But today, all it is, all we're saying is today, we're proclaiming who Jesus is today. So if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, today you will see him in maybe a whole new light. Yes, he is Savior, but he is God. He is the firstborn of creation. He is the creator of the universe. And he is the head of this church and every church that truly follow him as Lord and as God. Let's open in a word of prayer this morning. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you that we have the opportunity to open up your word and to see how you inspired Paul to write this letter to the church of Colossae. These young believers here, they're being bombarded now by false teachers that say that you weren't God, that you're some angel or a manifestation of God, but you weren't God. And Lord, I'm thankful that Paul wrote this letter as well as the rest of the New Testament to show that you are God that you are Savior, that you are the firstborn of all creation, the creator of the universe, the head of the church, and you will reconcile all things in the end. Everything will point back to you. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would give us a heart that is humble before you, that we would not look at the person in the pulpit, but we look at your word and look at you truly, for who you, what you've done and who you are. And we would marvel at the great work you've done, the great love you've shown. And Lord, that we would, as believers, that we would long to know you more deeply and follow you more closely. Lord, when we stand against the false teachers and we stand against false doctrine and false philosophy, that we would stand for and we'd come back to Colossians and say, no, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. We will have nothing but Jesus. We have nothing but Jesus. I pray that would be our answer and our prayer this morning, that we have nothing but Jesus. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And I kind of said a little bit of the precursor to this. I want to read, if you got in your Bibles, go ahead and flip over to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I want to read the first eight verses as kind of a little bit of a Again, another example, another showing, if you will, of who God is and what God has done. Hebrews 1, 1 through 8, who Jesus is. Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, 
God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he said, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprighteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Look at Colossians now, chapter 1, verse 15. The first part of that verse says, he is the image of the invisible God. And we also hear this word image of God. We hear it back basically of man. Man also was made in the image of God, right? Going back to Genesis 1.26, he said, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. But the reality is, is there's a drastic difference between us, the created, and Jesus, the creator. Man is sinful. He is immoral. He is lawless. He is opposed to God in every way since the fall of man. But Jesus was not created. He's the perfect manifestation, exact likeness, and representation of God. I want to repeat that. Perfect manifestation, exact likeness, and, represent, and representation of God. He is fully God in every way. In verse 19 of Colossians, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The entire fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is sinless. He's moral. He has all the attributes of God. His omniscience, his omnipotence, his immobility, his omnipresence. And we go on and on and on. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He never changes. He is everywhere. Yet, when he came to earth, he laid some of those things aside. Right? He laid some of those things aside, but he's all those things. God has all the attributes of the Father. John 10, 30 says, I and the Father are one. John 14, 9 says, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Show us the Father. Jesus is the very image, the very image of God. And first and foremost, Paul wants to make sure that the Colossians know that Jesus is not anything more or anything less than God. First and foremost, he is the very likeness and manifestation, the perfect representation of God. First and foremost. Secondly, move on. In verse 16, he says, the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. The first part of that, the firstborn, the Greek word for that, is protokos. And protokos can mean a chronological order. 
But in this case, it means rank, preeminence, importance. So he has the preeminence, the rank, the importance over all creation. It's important for us to understand that. There's another word in the Greek that means first created. He was not created. He was the firstborn. He was the highest of, the, of the, what was born, who was born here on earth. The incarnate Christ was the, at the highest rank, preeminence, importance, the only begotten of the Father. He was the firstborn. Psalms 89, 27. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. The highest of the kings of the earth. Psalm 2, 7. I will, de- I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. He is the only son of the Father. 1 John 4, 9. In this the love of God has made manifest to us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. It's important to understand the ranking of who Jesus is. Jesus is preeminent. And we'll talk about that at the very last as well, right? He's preeminent. He has of first rank and importance in the life of the believer and in the life of the world. He is eminent in the whole world. Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler of, in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So he is, he is the firstborn of all creation. He is the preeminent one that was born. So thinking through that aspect of things, understanding that he is who he is because he was born, and that rank, understanding that of all that was born, of all who was born from him and beyond him, he is of first order and preeminence. Now, most of you in this room would say, well, of course, that's true. Of course, He's, he is the preeminent rank. But these, these uh, false teachers were telling these, uh, these young believers that, no, Jesus wasn't of just importance. He was, he was actually created by God. He was created by God, and he was one of the things that God used in the life of, of us. He was just an emancipation of God. He wasn't actually God himself. And so for them to understand, no, he's the image of God, and not only is he the image of God, but he is most important of anyone who was born because he is from God. He is the only begotten son from God. This aspect of firstborn is also used of, of Israel as well. In Exodus 4.22, then you shall say to, to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Or Jeremiah 31.9, with weeping they shall come. And with pleas for mercy, I will send them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am the father of, to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. So just understanding that, again, Israel wasn't the first nation, but they were the firstborn nation. They were the preeminent nation. They were the nation chosen by God for a purpose. And that's exactly what Jesus was for us, right? He was chosen for a purpose, to come and to die for us, to be our propitiation for our sins. And so looking at that aspect of firstborn, understanding that, I think there's a lot of, if you read that passage, you go, I don't understand that. What does firstborn mean? Hopefully that clears that up for you. Because you read that, you're like, well, firstborn, what does that mean? And in the Greek, obviously, there are multiple words for that. It's good for us to understand that preeminence, that rank, understanding that Jesus was the focal point for all of us. He was the focal point that we needed to keep our eyes fixed upon. 
Look at the next part of verse 16. And this is really crucial. I want you to kind of underline these things, if you will, looking at that first aspect of creation. He is creator. We talked about the aspect of him being creator. First part of that says, for by him, and then I want you to jump down to the end of that verse 16, through him and for him, all things were created. So if you're writing something down, put for, by him, through him, and for him were all things created. So now we see him as being creator as well. We see him being creator. We see him savior. We see him redeemer. We see him as God, the firstborn of all creation. And now we see him as creator. Everything, all things were created by him and through him and for him. Now, do we truly believe that? Paul is saying, I completely and totally believe that he is creator of the universe because God said it was to so. I truly believe that he not only created some things, he created all things, and all things are under his control. He says, for by him and through him and for him, all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So thinking about that, we think of the physical, right? We think of the physical world, but it's everything. All things were created for him, by him, and through him. That's a great thing to think about for a second. It's not just the physical, but it's also the spiritual. And when you think about that aspect of thrones and dominions or rulers and authorities, again, what I mentioned before was those false teachers were saying, well, maybe Jesus is an angel. Maybe God divvied up this power to these angels, and so they were worshiping angels, and he's saying, no, 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 wait a minute. Jesus is, is over the angels. He's over the spiritual world as well as the physical world. Jesus isn't just a creator of that which you see. He's creator of that which you don't see. What a beautiful picture that he is that creator of everything. Everything is underneath his control and by his design. So Paul is really emphasizing to this church, hey, listen, he is God, he's creator, he's redeemer, he's savior. He is all. Everything is under his command. And when I read through this, I didn't really think through the aspect of the angelic aspect of things, the angelic order. And really that dominion, the thrones and rulers or authorities is really talking about that angelic, that angelic realm, the realm we can't see, we don't understand. And yet God is in control. He's the creator of those. He's in control of those things. He created it all. Everything is by him and for him and through him. John 1.3 says, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Write this one down. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. You probably, many of you probably have this memorized, but Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their vo words to the end of the world. In him he has sent, set a tent for the sun. And Romans 1.20, for his attributes, invisible attributes, namely, again, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived even since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So we are without excuse. And that Romans 1 is one that I take people back to all the time and say, you know what, we have no excuse. Look at all the creation you see around you. It is absolutely magnificent and amazing of all he's created. The complexity 
of the creation. It's not simplistic. It is complex. It is amazing. And I say not only what you see is of God and of Christ, but everything you don't see is of him. He controls it all. Everything is under his power and under his control. Ephesians 1.21 says, For above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but the age to come, is Jesus. For above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. He is above it all. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful to think about? We serve a God who is not just over some things, He doesn't have some power. He's not over little things. He's over everything. We serve a great God. We serve a great Savior. He's over everything. 1 Peter 3.22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. 1 Peter 3.22. So everything is subject to Christ. He's ruler and he's reigner over all. Such an important piece to think about that aspect. Thinking about that piece, just understanding the aspect of knowing how much he's in control. Do I put my trust in that fact? Do I rest in the fact that he is God? Period. That'd be easy, right? But Paul keeps going on. That's one thing I love about Paul being able to put layers upon this is we should just be able to stop right at the very beginning. The image of God. Boom, we should be done. That should be enough. But Paul gives us layers to show the complexity, to show how much God, what does God, what does that really mean? Is the image of God. He is very God. He's very God. So thinking through that, the next verse, verse 17, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is before all things. Again, pointing back to the fact that he has never had a beginning and he'll never have an end. Pointing back again to his being God, him being God. He is eternity past to eternity future. Never a beginning, never an end. He's ageless. He's ageless. He's before all things, in all things, for all things, it's all about Jesus. When you walk out, when you walk out of your home in the morning, it's all about Jesus. When you come home at night, when you go through your day and come home at night, it's all about Jesus. Everything is under his control. He's before all things. And the next part, in him, all things hold together. This is one of those that I actually circled and really thought through a lot, thinking about everything holding things together. I read a few uh, physicists that were talking about atoms and how the very atoms called the nuclear the nuclear or atomic atom, atomic, atomic nuclei, is actually held together in such a way that they don't understand how it's held together. They said, we are perplexed on how this nucleus is held together. We don't know how it's done. So the most renowned physicist in the world. And you know what? I can point to this. I can point to Scripture and say, I know how it's done. It's done by Christ. He holds all things together. Think about it for a second. The world is perfectly centered. The earth is perfectly positioned around the sun. The exact right tilt of the earth. Anything that is askew from that, if it's tilted one way or another, further away, closer to, we either burn up or we freeze. 
Too much gravity, too little gravity. We get crushed, we fall off into the atmosphere. Everything is held together with such complexity and precision. It had to be God. And the world, the physicists of the world are complex, but I don't understand how this works. And we go back saying, we know how it works. We understand what it means. All things hold together, are held together by him. And one day, 1 Peter talks about one day, everything won't be held together. Everything will be the opposite. Everything will, will implode. Everything will explode. There will be a nuclear, if you will, atomic blast. Everything will be dissolved. And then God will create again the new heavens and the new earth. But he holds everything together, puts everything under his control because he is God. Everything holds together. Have you thought about that? Thinking about that, are you in awe of that? When's the last time you were in awe about him being God? When's the last time you were in awe about him being your savior and your redeemer? When's the last time you were in awe of him being the creator of the universe? When was the last time you were in awe of him holding everything together and without him, everything would be come apart? For me, that is something that is a, a miraculous and amazing, and it is something that is so amazingly wonderful for me to think about, that not only did God save me, redeem me, right? But he is the greatest God, the greatest Savior. He holds everything together by his hand. If we were to pause and think about that for just a few seconds, right? And some of you that don't understand this and look at Scripture and go, I, did, I don't get this. First and foremost, it comes down to understanding and, and, and realizing that we're a sinner. That we were bought with a price. We've been redeemed because of the cross. Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died and he rose again. He died and he rose again. And now, we, because we are here, we're a part of the church. And the only reason why the church exists is because of Jesus. Not only does he hold the universe together, but this body is held together because of Christ. We would not have First Tree Bible Church without Jesus. Now, it seems like a very simplistic statement. But the reality is, is that that is a profound statement. Because there's a lot of religions in the world, but having a true church that follows Jesus and follows his word is amazing, is compelling. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. Again, emphasizing again, Paul emphasizes again that he is the beginning of the church, just like he's the beginning of all things. The firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is the head of the body. If you go to 1 Corinthians 12 and we had time, you could look through how the fact of how the body works. We all have a piece and a part of that, but ultimately, Christ is the head of that. And why? Because without him, without him, we wouldn't have a church. The body of elders that we have, a, a pastor is not the head of the church. Now, it seems like an understatement, but there's many churches that look to their elders and, and, and humans as the head. But the reality is we understand the head is Christ. He is of first rank in importance. The same word, of firstborn there, is the same word that we saw earlier, a firstborn of all creation. He's also the firstborn of the dead. The most important death and resurrection, the first resurrection that we can look to is Christ as far as the importance of that resurrection. 
right? He, 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 was, he came back to life, and now he lives forever and ever, ever and ever. That aspect of being firstborn from the dead is such a crucial piece of the equation. Without his death, burial, and resurrection, him being that preeminent, that focal point, the value and importance of that resurrection, everything else falls into place because of that. We do not have a hope without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have no hope, zero hope. We have no church without that resurrection. That's the beautiful thing about that aspect is thinking about the fact that he proved who he was through all that he did, right? Yes, he proved who he was through creation. Yes, he proved who he was through his incarnation and his perfect life. But even more proved who he was by his death and then ultimately by his resurrection. That was so important for all of us to look to. It was, he was the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. He might be preeminent. Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the rulers of the kings of the earth. Preeminence is something, if you look it up, thinking of that aspect of preeminence, and this is the only time this word is used in the New Testament, preeminence means surpassing all others, towering above, notably above all others, magnificently important, supreme rank, dignity, outstanding position, exceeds all others in extraordinary ways. I like the last one personally, exceeds all others in extraordinary ways. Do we believe that God exceeds all other in extraordinary ways? Is he preeminent? Absolutely. Definitively, he is. Now, the question is, is he preeminent in our life? Is he preeminent in this church? Is he preeminent in our going out and our coming in? Is he preeminent in our evangelism? Is he preeminent in how we refute false teaching and false doctrine? Does he... Is he of first importance in our life? Does he bring the most value in your life? What do you hold most dear? What do you hold the closest to? Is it Christ or is it something else? Thinking through that particular part of Scripture, thinking through, even looking at verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is the fullness of very God. Fullness of very God. We have the opportunity to serve a risen Savior. Thinking through those things again, those, those, five, those five or six things there, he is Savior, Redeemer, the image of God, firstborn of all creation, creator of the universe. Everything holds together because of him, and he is the head of our church. He is head of the true church. Jesus Christ is the head of all things. It's a beautiful picture for us to think about that in this passage of Scripture. And Paul is attempting with all his might, though he was in prison, to share with this church at Colossae, make sure you understand that without Christ, all this falls away. The reason why I'm doing what I'm doing, because he redeemed me on the road to Damascus. The reason why I'm doing what I'm doing because he is creator. The reason why I'm doing what I'm doing because he's very God. He holds everything together. He rose again from the dead. 
He is ahead of all this. All I'm, I am a, I'm an apostle of his. All I'm doing this for is for him, and I'm sharing this with you so that you will be encouraged and strengthened and challenged that I am who I am. He's not there because it's easy. He's there because God has called him for a purpose and a task to share with them what the truth of the, of the gospel means, the truth of the word of God. We see Jesus overall throughout this passage. It's all about Jesus. That's one thing great about this particular section because we talk about doctrine, but really the main doctrine that we have is Jesus. Jesus is God, he's creator, he's savior, he's redeemer. He will reconcile all things to himself. Everything is about him. As savior, we see the redemption made possible through his incarnation, perfect life, death, and resurrection from the dead. As God, we see his sovereignty and preeminence in full display. As creator, we see his handiwork and precision in creating and holding things together in perfect order and control. He literally has the universe in his hands. As the head of the church, we see our high priest from the order of Melchizedek interceding on our behalf. We are by him, through him, and for him. We worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Is today just another day that you check a box off by coming to church? Or is today the day you go back home and you do business with God? in a real way. You thank him for what he's done in your life. You thank him for who he is. By him and through him and for him are all things. All of us were created ultimately to glorify God. That's what our purpose is. Is that your purpose? Is that my purpose? Am I afraid of the world and the false teachers and everything that's out there? Or am I more concerned with the Savior of my soul? Do I have more love for him or do I have more love for this world? Do I marvel at the fact of who God is, who Jesus Christ is, what he's done and what he will do? I'm looking forward to the day when he returns or when I die and I see him. When I found out that Rob Holland was, had passed away, it hit pretty hard. But I know he's rejoicing in heaven and I look forward to rejoicing in heaven with him, worshiping our great God and Savior. Don't you? It's important for us to really think through this particular passage because if he's not preeminent in your life, if there's something else that's more important, has more value than Christ, then you really have to do business with him because you can't serve two masters. I pointed out, and Scripture points out, Paul points out this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that it is all about Jesus. Everything about life, death, hope, everything is about him. But if you think there's something else that is more important and your life is patterned around other things in life versus patterned around Jesus and Jesus and Jesus, then you and I both have to do business with him. This was a great thing, the aspect that Paul puts this out there and says, you know what, this is such a beautiful picture. Jesus was the representation. He was here physically. We saw what he did. He promised something. He fulfilled it. He rose again from the dead. That is exciting. 
But as a believer, having been a believer for 20 or 30 years, for me to read this, it reignites my passion for him. Hopefully it reignites your passion for him, your love for him, your devotion for, to him. Because you were created for a purpose. You were created by him and for him and through him. You're created for Jesus. That is why you were created. John Owens, kind of summing this up a little bit, Puritan um, John Owens wrote this, the revelation made of Christ in the blessed gospel is far more excellent, more glorious, more filled with rays of divine wisdom and goodness than the whole creation. And the just comprehension of it, it, if attainable, can contend or afford. Without this knowledge, the mind of man, however priding himself in other inventions and discoveries, is wrapped up in darkness and confusion. This, therefore, deserves the severest of our thoughts, the best of our meditations, and our utmost diligence in them. For if our future blessedness shall consist in living where he is and belonging of his glory, what better preparation can there be for it than a constant previous contemplation of that glory as revealed in the gospel, that by a view of it, we may be gradually transformed into the same glory. We're being transformed into one level of glory to the next. What a great picture. Here's a great preacher that is stating the very obvious of what we talked about. The deity of Christ is amazing, and is, there's an awe there that we need to have every single day. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for coming. Thank you for dying. Thank you for rising again. Because he didn't do it for himself. He did it for you and he did it for me. And it's easy for us to forget that as, a, as believers, isn't it? It's easy for us to read scripture and say, that's great. Yeah, he was. He's preeminent. Yes, he's firstborn. Overall creation, got that. Yes, he's preeminent. But when we really think about that in our daily life, walk uh, in our daily walk, is that really true? Is it lip service or is it true and real and in our life? Because there's action that has to be taken with this information. And that means we yield our, our knee, we bow our knee to Christ because Philippians 2 tells us that we will one day bow our knee. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has exalted, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Every knee will bow. I pray that your knee and my knee, my, my knee bows now, today, and every day for the rest of our life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the day you've given us. Father, I thank you for the opportunity it is to open up your word and to see the glories of who you are, Father. I thank you and praise you that you are Savior, Redeemer. I thank you that you are the very image of God. You are the fullness of God. You are completely God in every way. That you're, you were the firstborn, the preeminent value of, of creation, the creator of the universe, and you are the head of the church. There is no question about that. Lord, I pray that today that as we open up your word and we look at this and we see that your hand is controlling all things, you hold everything together by your power, 
Lord, we're thankful that you have tarried for as long as you have to save those you have in this room, Lord. And I pray that there, those in the room today, because we're not guaranteed tomorrow, that those who don't know you as our personal Lord and Savior would see this and say, do I want God in my life? Do I want Jesus, creator, savior, redeemer, restorer, reconciler? Do I want him to be Lord of my life? Do I want him to save me from my sins? Do I want a home in heaven? Lord, I thank you and praise you for the God that you are. I thank you for the hope that we have in you. And I pray that we would not forget this, if it's not become common in our life, that it be something that is extraordinary and that we would have a new sense of awe for you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.